This is Dr. Jonathan Shaw. I want to thank you for tuning in to Crown Ministries Podcast today. We hope that this message transforms you and encourages you to pursue God's presence in a greater way. Enjoy the message. To break it. And the Lord said the fetters of iron will be shattered into pieces. Yes, Lord, I hear you. For yes, the Lord says in this house this morning, hallelujah, that there is a hammer coming from heaven. Yes, Lord, I hear you. And he said, will not my word be like a hammer that breaks fetters of iron, that breaks chains into pieces? He said, my word shall go forth mighty this morning. Lift your hands here. Because even before the word of the Lord comes, the Lord says, my word is coming forth even in this moment to break off demonic contraptions amongst your ear and amongst your heart. Glory to God. And amongst even your hands and your feet. Some of you have been feeling weighty in this past season. You've been unable to lift your hands without wrath or doubting. You've been unable to dance before the Lord. But I hear the Lord saying that the hammer of the Lord is in the room. And it's come to break the fetter. Yes, I hear God say depression will not last in this house. Oh, my commando reke. Maleke supalamanta reke tabayo kopa. I said depression will not last in this house. For yes, the Lord says that I break it with my hammer. 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 Lift your hands over your mouth and shout. Come on, cry is here the hammer is here the hammer is here to break to break up to break up to break up to break up break 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 he said the hammer's here I am on the so he said the hammer's here he said the hammer's here he said the hammer is in the room. He said I'm knocking stuff over. He said I'm knocking stuff down. He said I'm breaking up stuff. He says I'm pushing in stuff. He says I'm pulling out stuff. The hammer. The hammer is in the room. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Okay. 
Okay. The hammer is in the room. Look at somebody say the hammer is in the room. The hammer is in the room. He says he's come to break chains. He says even fetters of iron are being destroyed in this moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Iron is one of the most stable metals that we have. It's one of the most widely used metals that we have. says I come to break you out today have your seat have your seat have your seat I gotta preach mm. so, bye, 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 bye. Yes. all right okay 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 father I'm asking that that prophetic anointing would converge with the teaching anointing that it will produce a preaching anointing that will break yokes in this place. I pray that the anointing of proclamation and articulation would be heavy in this room and that you will speak your mind with clarity. I thank you for clarity of thought, precision of speech, and I thank you that the ears are open to hear what this says, the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Give God a praise right there. Okay. We're moving quickly. I want to maintain this atmosphere, but I want to give honor to our bishop designate, Jonathan Shaw, in his absence. Let's celebrate him. Glory to God. I want to give honor to Pastor Sabrina Shaw. Hallelujah. I just, why preach? <laughs> why, why preach after that? Amen. I just wanted to get on the altar for once. Amen. <laughs> but I thank God for Pastor Sabrina who just set the atmosphere with such intensity. Hallelujah. Um, I'm going to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, the 30th verse. 1 Kings 18, 30. 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, the 30th verse. When you have it, you can stand. I have, I was struggling with the Lord because I wanted to bring a three-point sermon this morning and go to brunch. Say amen. amen. I got quite, you're acting shady. Wanted to go to brunch, Karima. Amen. Amen. Brunch is for millennials. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. But, I, 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 have, I have a word that I've been carrying with me for five years and six months. And I, I, I've been so neglectful. Glory to God. I have a word, and it's a mandate. It's a prophetic mandate. Glory to Jesus. And I've been reluctant to release the word because of the responsibility of the word. And I don't understand. I don't understand people who are prophetic, who just want to prophesy all the time. I, I, I can't. I just don't, I don't get it. Do you know you're responsible for the word that you release? 
and the earth. You're responsible for it. And so we're going to read this. And I'm going to sit down. Amen. First Kings 1830. I'm going to ask that you read it in concert with me. I'll begin. If I drop out, you keep reading and we'll join in at the end. Amen. Verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may have your seat. I'm going to preach from a message entitled Fire Starters. Preaching for a message entitled Fire Starters. Fire. Fire is present as a metaphor and symbol all throughout the word of God. Fire is present from beginning to the end. Fire is so powerful that in the beginning, it is recorded that pockets of civilization worshipped fire and to this day many people believe even some in the scientific community argue that fire is alive fire one of the first moments of a claim that fire has in the word of God 
is when Moses is at the burning bush. And Moses receives a, a, an assignment from God from that bush. Fire brings assignments. The pillar of fire that followed the children of Israel in the wilderness uh, was there for 40 years and 40 nights. At nighttime, a pillar of fire would fire them. Fire can also give direction. There was a, a, a God's appearance of fire on Mount Sinai with Moses again uh, when he was up talking to the Lord uh, about, uh, rather when he received from the Lord um, the Ten Commandments and really all of the Mosaic Law. And God appeared as a fire then as well. Look at your name and say fire and glory. When Moses came down from the mountain, the Bible says that his face shone so brightly that he had to wear a veil because he was in the presence of the almighty God. And the people could not look upon him. When fire comes, glory comes. Uh, Jesus' eyes were as a flame of fire in the book of Revelation. Uh, the, 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 that idea, symbolically, Revelation is one of the most prophetic books. The idea that his eyes give fire is that his eyes give illumination and vision. When the Holy Ghost descended in Acts 2, the Bible says that uh, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues like as of. Okay, you read your Bible. Uh, there is a physical, many times some of us are in the, the, the presence of the Lord and sometimes you may feel a warmth or a presence. This has been uh, one, of the most, one of the most widely uh, known uh, phenomenon of the Spirit of God where we say, oh, I feel warmth or I feel heat or it feels like fire on me. Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. There is a physical and spiritual dichotomy of fire that touches your physical body oftentimes people say I felt I, I got healed and prior to me getting healed I felt heat in the place where my illness or my disease was it was fire somebody shout fire Ultimately, fire was an instrument of God's power used to either express God's destruction or express God's approval of a thing so when God's fire comes in a place, it expresses his approval of what's being offered to him. In particular, we see this on altars where sacrifices were being offered unto God. When one uses the tabernacle in the wilderness as a template, we see so many different uh, courts. You have the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place. And in each place, you have fire. And in the most holy place... The smoke that comes up is not generated by anything natural. It's actually supernatural smoke, which indicates wherever there's smoke, there is. Okay. Altars are very common in the Old Testament. As many cultures believed in constructing an altar for the worship of their God. Anytime you see an altar present, there is worship going on. Now, there are intentional altars and unintentional altars. We'll get there. But <clears throat> altars speak of worship. Specifically at an altar, most times what people do at an altar is pray. The second thing people do at an altar is give. 
sacrifice, right? And so an altar is where sacrifices and worship is done. I want to focus on uh, the altar for a moment. The altar in Latin is the word altis. Everyone say altis. That word means a raised place, okay? That word means a high place or a high altar. When one thinks of an altar, we usually tend to think down. So when we get on the altar, we think that this is the altar. We think that this floor is the altar, when in fact, this is the altar. This raised place in which we put our elbows and we kneel to the Lord, this, what we call the pulpit, this raised place is the altar. It is a shame that nowadays, in many of our churches, the altar is competing for space. I go to churches here and there, you know. I usually come to this church, but here and now I'll go visit a church. I watch church on television. You can watch anybody's church on television now. You can watch anybody's church on Facebook. Hello? But something that I'm, I'm realizing as I survey the landscape of churches is that Many churches are abolishing their altars for platforms. And so what we have is a stage and not an altar. In other words, what we're doing is we're building cathedrals, we're building platforms, we're building stages, but the byproduct of our indifference to the altar is that we neglect the building of the people. We neglect the change of the people. And every generation... God raises up intervisionists and revolutionaries for the sake of his cause. Often, these people would be labeled as prophets, providing direction and guidance to people. We tend to think of prophets as those that speak in tongues and hop on one foot and then say, thus saith the Lord, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. But, 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 but prophets tend to shift the direction of a nation. Modern-day prophets that we know that are not usually considered prophets, one of the most famous people, if I said his name, you know exactly who I'm talking about. You could probably draw him if you could draw him. Martin Luther King Jr., mighty prophet of God. By his activism, by his agitation of a system, he changed the course of a whole country to uh, 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 abolish uh, Jim Crow laws and institute equal rights for people. That was, a prof- that, was a, that was a prophetic act. That was a prophetic move. He himself had to come up with a language for legislation so it could be passed for 300 million people today. And then be modeled for the rest of the world. That's a prophet. So, so Elijah was like one of these people, like a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he came out of nowhere, the Bible says, in uh, 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, Elijah the Tishbite comes and he just starts talking to Ahab. We don't know how he got to Ahab's court. We don't know how he ended up there. He just somehow ended up in a king's court and he told him there's going to be a drought. There's going to be a drought in the land. 
and there is the drought is going to be so severe that dew will not even form on your crops. You will have no moisture in the air. It will be dry. And after he releases this word to King Ahab, the Bible says that he moves from King Ahab's court. The Lord tells him, go hide by the brook Cherith. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to me for a moment because I'm going to go through this really quickly. Elijah builds three altars before we get to this text in 1 Kings 18. So the first altar he builds is by brook Cherith. That is an altar in isolation. Everyone say altar in isolation. The altar in isolation was by Brook Sheriff. The Lord told Elijah, go by the brook. I'm going to command ravens to feed you there. Now, we know that he built an altar there because uh, uh, he, he knew when he got to that altar that God was going to speak to him for further instructions. Now, how can you hear further instructions without an altar? He says that I want to hide you. That is the actual verb that's used in um, uh, verse 6 or 7. He says, I want to hide you. Now, you only hide from something or someone that's being sought out. He says, I want to hide you. And his hiding out or his isolation acted as a place of insulation or preservation. What am I saying? God sometimes will hide us to preserve us. And the only way you can effectively hide is with and by an altar. If you're hiding without an altar, you're under torment. If you're ducking and dodging without an altar, you're under torment. If you're hiding and you don't have a place of prayer or worship, you're in torment. And we know this because after Elijah defeats Jezebel at the, at, at, the, at the mountain, and that's what we're going to talk about today, he goes under a tree without an altar and is depressed. You need an altar for sanity and stability. I, 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 you need an altar for sanity. The only, the only reason why I still have my mind is because I have an altar. Altars provide sustenance. Altars provide provision. Altars provide supply. The Bible says when you go by the brook Cherif, what I want you to do is stay there by that brook, drink from that brook, and I'm going to have ravens come and feed you. When you have an altar, you never have to worry about, is God going to meet my next bill? Is God going to pay my bills? Is God going to pay my rent? Am I going to be able to meet my light bill this month? Am I going to be able to pay my phone bill this month? If you got an altar, you just keep on going. I got an altar. I got an altar. I got supply. If I got an altar, I've got supply. If I got an altar, I have sustenance. If I have an altar, I have stability. If I have an altar, I have sustainability. I got to move. I got to move because if you stay at an altar too long, after a while, the brook dried up. And if you stay at an altar too long, the place that once insulated you could now become a place of desolation. 
The place that was once the place that fed you could be the place that binds you. So Elijah said, when the brook dries up, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to move. Altars are mobile, altars are mobile, altars are mobile. You can take an altar with you. The altar is not in a physical location. The altar is in my heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Thy word, thy word, thy word, altars are mobile. Look at somebody and say, take the altar with you. Take, take the altar with you. Don't, don't, don't leave your altar in that same place. Then he goes to the next altar. The next altar is an altar in lack. What are you talking about, Roosevelt? He goes to a woman, a widow woman in Zarephath. When he gets to that widow woman in Zarephath, she's in depression. She, the spirit of death is all over her. She says, I'm going to bake a cake. She says, I'm going to light a fire. I'm going to get some sticks. I'm going to get some flour and I'm going to get some oil. And I'm going to put that on this fire. Me and my child, we're going to eat. And after that, we're going to die. Now, 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 the implication is not that they were about to starve themselves. Because if you're about to starve yourself, why are you baking a cake? So here the spirit of suicide is on this woman. She, about to kill. she was about to be one of those. I was about to be very politically incorrect. White women that go down and bring five children to the river and just, you know, just drove in, drive into the river and kill all of them. You know, none of them is ever black. They always, okay. Lord, help me. Just drive all the children into the water. Like, wow. Suicide, spirit of suicide all over her. The Bible says that Elijah walked up to this woman and said, uh-uh, don't, don't, don't do that. Bake me a cake. Remember, Elijah's altar is mobile, so he zeroes in on the intention of the woman. Her intention was to die. He says, I'm about to build an altar so you can live. I'm about to build an altar. I know what you are about to do. But you do this. I know you don't know why I'm giving you this instruction. You do it because uh, as, a, as a prophet, as a prophetic voice, what I'm telling you, woman, is to build it because this is the next altar. This, this right here. I don't know if you heard. She got sticks and she got fire. Uh, if that's not an altar, I don't know what it is, an altar. And, and the Bible says that when the woman obeyed the prophet, that the seed of perpetual, or rather the seed of increase uh, was perpetually in her house. That her flour and her oil did not waste. Even in the midst of a drought, God will sustain you if you build an altar. An altar is about your intention. An altar is about your posture. An altar is about what's in your heart. The next place, so he, he builds an altar in isolation. He builds an altar in lack, and he, he turned that lack uh, for that woman, that spirit of suicide, that spirit of depression, spirit of death that was all over. He turned the whole thing around. Now seed of increases in her house, perpetual promises in her house, and then he goes on and he moves now to an altar of intercession. Altar in, an altar of intercession. This is all in chapter 17. And 18 preceding the move of God of supernatural fire at the end of chapter 18 now this altar of intercession is interesting because what happens is the woman built the prophet a chamber 
the woman the woman built the prophet a chamber where she where where she could house the prophet whenever he came to town now that word chamber when you properly um uh, 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 define that word chamber in the Hebrew, it comes out as sanctuary or altar. Comes out as sanctuary or an altar. He builds this room. She builds this room for him. The child one day dies. Elijah, somewhere around here, comes to the woman She's like, my child has died. He said, don't worry about it. Elijah goes into the room, the chamber, the sanctuary, the altar, puts the child on the bed, lies over the child, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, face to face, and he begins to pray over that child. Until, verse 22 says, the soul entered back into that child. The soul entered back into that child. True intercession stretches you. It's quiet right there. My question to you is, when is the last time you've been stretched? True intercession brings you out of comfortability. My question to you is, when was the last time you've been uncomfortable? True intercession is restorative. My question to you is, when was the last time you prayed and got results? He said the soul entered back into the, 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 the young man. And what I want to say here is that, and the Bible says that his soul was revived. Jesus. It says that his soul was revived. This idea of revival, that particular word means his soul got vigor, his soul got vitality, his soul got mobility. That's what that word actually means in the Hebrew. His soul got vitality, his soul got vigor, and his soul got mobility. Let me say that again because somebody in the room is in need of vitality. You are in need of a spark of life. Somebody in the room has been stagnant and stale and unable to move to the next place, but I hear the Lord say that revival is in the room just for you to give you mobility so you can move again The altar of intercession precedes moves of revival. And if you want your soul to be revived again, it's time for you to commit yourself back to an altar of intercession. When was the last time you got on your face and laid before the Lord and said, Jesus, I need you to touch my soul. Jesus, I need you to touch my body. Jesus, I need you to put strength back into my spirit. Jesus, I'm tired and I'm I'm weary. Jesus, I feel like I can't make it anymore. But oh God, if you bring strength to this body, if you bring stability to this mind, I'll be revived again. True intercession brings revival. 
There is a desperate need for revival in the house of God. Not a revival of music. We got good music going on. Not a revival of clothes. We got great clothes. We dressed all well. My suit busted this morning, but I'm all right. We, we, we got a revival, or rather we, we don't need another revival, hallelujah, of, of another teaching conference. We don't need a, a revival of another preaching conference. We don't need a revival of another prophetic conference. We need a revival of intercession. We don't need a revival of another praise and worship conference, symposium, no point intended. If we do all these things and there is no intercession, if we do all these things and there is no fragrance coming up from the altar, if we do all these things and there's no prayer coming up out of the house of God, if we do all these things and no one's crying out to God for the purpose of that thing, then why do we do it? So the last altar we're going to focus on is the, is the altar of fire. Now, the last altar was an altar that Elijah built himself. It was an altar of supernatural fire. And before you build an altar, I want you to hear this. Before you build an altar, Minister Norfleet, you've got to understand climate. Everyone say climate. Climate. The climate of the time was that there was a drought. Okay? And... What part of the reason why there was a drought, droughts are often almost always correlated with idolatry. Let me say that again. Droughts are almost always correlated with idolatry. I'm going to say that one more time. Droughts are almost always correlated with idolatry, scripturally. So there wasn't just a drought in the land so God could just judge his people just to say you're judged. The drought was there because the hearts of the people had followed after other gods. They followed after other lovers. They followed after their hearts, desires, their passions and their ambitions. So the drought was a prophetic act by Elijah to say that the dryness that you see in the land is the dryness that's in your soul. Can anybody be honest today and say I've been a little dry lately? Just a tad bit dry. Just a little bit dry. If I breathe like this on my glass, there's no moisture. Dry. Hot air. Dry. No moisture. Some of us are not dry. Some of us are brittle. That's why you're so offended. Every time we say something to you, you just break. You're brittle. Just try. Brittle. 
you also have to understand opposition. You've got climate, you've got opposition. You understand the climate was a drought. The opposition at that time was Baal and Asherah. Now, who was Baal and Asherah? Baal was a god that the children of Israel started to follow. Baal was the god of rain and of storm. How ironic. Asherah was the god of fertility. How ironic. Not just fertility in terms of having babies, but fertility in terms of they prayed to Asherah when they wanted their crops to grow because it represented agriculture and vegetation, okay? Fertility, the fertility of the ground. You got it? So you got these two gods they're worshiping. They say, if we worship Asherah, and if we worship Baal, Baal will send the rain, and Asherah will bring the crop. Elijah said that there's going to be a drought. Instead of going to God when the drought came, they went to Baal and Asherah. Now, isn't that something that God put these people in a predicament? He said, there's going to be a drought. Instead of them going back to God and praying to God, they went after Baal and Asherah. Now, let me pause right here parenthetically and say, idolatry has nothing to do with worshiping another god. Idolatry has all to do with worshiping yourself. Idols represent what we want out of our life. Oh, it's going to get heavy up in here. I, it's hard. This is hard. This is why I don't want to say, I don't want to preach this. Idols represent what we like and what we love. No one has an idol that they don't like. No one has an idol that they hate. If you have an idol, you like that idol. You, matter of fact, some of us love our idols. Matter of fact, some of us are in love with our idols. Oh, God, help, 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 help me now. Help me, help me, because idolatry has nothing to do with that particular God. It has all to do with you being God. Let me make this happen. Let me fix it up. Let me uh, uh, arrange it so that I can get the results that I'm looking for. So if I pray for Baal to send rain instead of praying to God, maybe it'll happen. If I go another way, then maybe, maybe, maybe what I really wanted will happen. And we sit in a position, a dry place, for seven years and nothing has happened. Elijah now comes to the mountain. I'm closing here. He comes to the mountain. When he gets to the mountain, he's in a standoff with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Now, I also need to pause parenthetically here and say that the prophets of Baal and Asherah were, were once the prophets of God. The Bible does not call them false prophets. Some of y'all missed that. The Bible does not call them false prophets. 
The Bible does not call them false prophets. They are still a prophet just for another God. They're still a prophet, prophetess Mowbray, for another God. But you're still a prophet. Oh, Jesus. We didn't say you were inauthentic. You just went after another God. We didn't say you weren't true. You just have another lover. Oh, my God. And so here the prophets come. This is a lot. It's just really a lot. And they start cutting themselves, hopping on one foot, shouting and dancing, trying to get, you know, they're doing a rain dance, trying to get the rain to come, you know. Elijah comes up. And he's like, stop all of this nonsense. Sit down. Gather around. Let me show you something that's about to happen. And Elijah comes to an altar that was there. Remember I told you that some altars are mobile? But then there are some altars that serve as a memorial. There are some altars, there are some churches we go to now, when you walk in, the presence of the Lord is still there. Hello. For those of us who grew up in churches, you know, some of us have left some really major churches, and sometimes you go in and it's like, whoa, he's still here. Grandmama died, auntie left, there might be five people left in there, but God is still there because there is an altar erected. That's why sometimes we got to be very careful how we shame where we came from because there was a truth somewhere in there and there was a, a reverence for altar worship. So there was an altar that was desolated. It was broken down. Elijah said, come gather around here. I'm going back to an old place, Jesus. I'm going back to a place that was, that's desolate now, but at one time had life. I'm coming back to a place uh, that uh, is now broken down, but at one time it was glorious. It burned with fire day and night. I'm coming back to an old place. Comes back to this place. The Bible says that he gathers around 12 stones. These 12 stones are indicative of the tribes of Israel. Every stone has a representation, has a symbol, has an act. But these 12 stones are representative of the divine government of God. And I want to say to you that if you're an intercessor in this, everybody in this room is an intercessor. But for those of you who are acknowledged and you know that God has called me to pray for this house. Let me shift here. God has called me to pray for this house. One of the things that you must understand is that you've got to pray according to the government of this house. The reason why Elijah went to, to this altar that was broken down and decided that he was going to come to this altar at this particular time was because there was a woman by the name of Jezebel. And Jezebel was the wife of, of Ahab. Now, I'm not going to deal too much with this because that's Dr. Shaw's, uh, 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 that's his area. He's a major prophet, minor prophet, master prophet, all of them in one. He's all of that. So I'm just a little prophetic voice, just a little intercessor in the house praying. But I want to tell you something about Jezebel. Jezebel has a tendency to intimidate the prophets of God. 
And what Jezebel will do is Jezebel, what she tried to do to Elijah and to many other prophets, was she tried to turn their mouth so that they could preach and teach and prophesy what she wanted them to say rather than what God was saying. And so that's why I said earlier that the prophets of Baal and Asherah never said that they were false because they were once God's prophets. And he says, I want to come after Jezebel has done her dirty work. Jezebel is a spirit, not a person. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. And you could be under the influence of Jezebel in two ways. You could be used by Jezebel to speak false prophecies and to speak divination. Or you can be influenced by Jezebel when you see something and never say something. You can be under the influence of Jezebel because you saw something in the spirit and you said, I'm not dealing with that. No, 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 no. I don't feel like, I don't feel like going into prayer about that. I don't, I, don't feel, I don't feel like dealing with that. I don't feel like going on a seven-day fast over that. I, raise your hands right here. Just raise your hands. I just feel an anointing right here for this. I pray in the name of Jesus that today, the muzzles that have been on people's mouths as a result of Jezebel. I pray that the, 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 the contraptions that have been on their ears as a result of Jezebel will be removed in Jesus' name. Give them praise right there. Give them praise. So if, 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 if you're going to be an intercessor, you got to pray according to the government of the house. Dr. Shaw, Pastor Sabrina, what we call the epitropos. They are the law of the house. They are, that word epitropos means guardian, foreman. You are the overseer. You are the one, you are the law, the law of the house. So everything that's legislated is legislated by them. If it comes in, it came in by them. If it goes out, it goes out by them. Are you understanding that? They're the law of the house. So, so anytime you come into a place of prayer, you've got to come in acknowledging the law. And if you don't acknowledge the law of the house, you're in error. What would argue that you're under the influence of? Oh, oh, oh. Because you have dishonored divine government. These 12 stones represent a sure foundation. Are y'all following me? Y'all writing notes? Sure foundation. They represent an altar that is built on good theology. Did you know that you can build an altar on faulty theology? You can build an altar on false ideology. You can pray for the wrong things. Whoa. You can be an error in prayer. Elijah then, after he took the stones, you got the sure foundation. I'm moving because I'm boring some of you, but I'm going to be done in about five minutes, all right? So you've got, you've got here the stones. Then after the stones, he took the wood. And he took the wood and he put the wood here. One, two. Lined up the wood. Now, wood is, wood, what wood is, is humanity. 
what is symbolic of humanity? What is symbolic of flesh? Wood is symbolic of our passion. The Bible says he put the wood in order. He put the wood in order. In order to be an intercessor and call down fire from heaven, your flesh has to be in order. Your flesh has to be in submission. Your flesh has to be under subjection. Your flesh has to be submitted to God. And you cannot truly be an intercessor with flesh that's out of order. It's really difficult. It's really hard. It's hard to do it when you, when you submit to the impulses of your flesh. When every time you say, I want this, you go for it. When every time you say, I need this, you go into it. Your sensitivity as an intercessor should not be used for your impulses. They should be used for the spirit of God. That when God calls you to prayer, when God says, I need you to pray for this, or I need you to, t uh, uh, to fast about this, that you respond to that spiritual impulse and not your natural impulse. Elijah then placed a bull on the wood. You've got a sure foundation. You've got good theology. You've got good doctrine. You've got an understanding of the government of the house. Then you've got wood. You put the wood in order. Your flesh is under subjection. Then he says, what I want to do is put a bull on the wood. Now the bull or the bullock, King James Version, the bullock, the bullock represents work. For those that are writing this down, it represents a sense of productivity power and work he says now after you put your flesh on the altar i want you to put your work on the altar i want you to put your busyness on the altar i want you to put your sense notice it says sense of productivity it doesn't mean you're actually being productive it's just a sense of productivity i'm constantly doing and i'm constantly going and i'm constantly being and you're not really productive it's just a sense it's activity with no results it's just a sense of productivity now why the bullock because the bullock in those days now none of us own bulls we all own maybe dogs or cats but in those days almost every house had to have a calf or a bull and a bull was used to to till, uh, to till the ground right and so that's the idea of work how many of you could be honest right now and say that one of the reasons that I have not moved into a place where God wants me to be as a fire starter is because I am so consumed with work. I am so consumed with work. I'm consumed with getting that coin. I'm consumed with getting that money, getting that bag. I, I'm guilty. I had three jobs. I, I did, listen, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I am guilty. I'm guilty. 
I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you today. Y'all preaching with me. You preach with me. I'm guilty of everything I'm saying in here. Hello. It's a place of transparency. Work. Got to go to work. Got to make that money. And then you make the money to then pay a bill that you incurred because you got the second job. Then you get another job. And when you get that third job, you say, well, I could do this too. And you get the third job to pay the additional bill. And then you tell me, I'm tired. Well, of course you're tired. Of course you're tired. Put your bull on the altar. Thank you for catching it. High five. You heard it. I was trying to move past it. But put your bull on the altar. Oh, put your bowl right out here on the altar. All the bowl. All right, let me move out of that. I'm coming out of that. I'm coming out of that. Then the Bible says that he poured the water on the altar. He got the stones on the altar. He got the wood on the altar. Then he got the bull on the altar. And he poured the water on the altar. Look at this again. Anytime you see anything twice, it represents a precedent. So when Elisha, the son of Elijah, went and laid on Elijah's... Uh, on that dead man's, or rather when uh, they put the, the man on Elijah's grave yes. and he came to life, yes. that was a, 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 sim, a similar to what happened when Elijah laid on the little boy. It was an example of how to do intercession. And so it represents, anytime you see it one time, okay, that's good. But when you see it twice, it represents a precedence. It shows you that there is a principle here that you should implement. So... Here, you got the water, and they took the water, put the water on the altar. Had four pitchers of water. He said, go back. Get some more water. Said, do it again a second time. Well, four plus four is? Okay, thank you so much. And then he says, do it. Do it again. Four plus four plus four is? Or four times three is? Okay, good. I'm glad we asked this morning. Wonderful. So four times three is 12. Well, we saw 12 earlier when there were 12 stones. It's, it's understanding of divine government. It's very important that if you move in intercession, that you are submitted, properly submitted to divine Water in this case, now the bull was very common. Everyone had a bull. Bull was very common. They put the bull in the altar, but water. Oh, God. Now, I don't know if you, you remember when I told you there was a drought. So where are they getting the water from? There was a drought, Pastor Moore. Where are they getting the water from? I submit to you 
Anytime, now this has been true for thousands of years, there are storehouses in, that governments will, will have of wheat, grain, water, things of, you know, things of the like for times of drought. And I believe that someone had to go to a storehouse. I believe that someone had to go to a reservoir to get the water. It, is, it doesn't say here. We don't know where we got the water from. But I, I'm just thinking about how the government, uh, or rather how the nations were set up in those days that you would have a storehouse of these things and that you would have to go there to get your water. I believe that what the revelation here is that God is calling some of us to dig deep into a reservoir. I believe that what God is saying here is that there is a storehouse. That even when you think that you have nothing left, there is a reservoir. Oh, Jesus. That even when you think that it's depleted, there is a reservoir. That even when you think that you, you can't find it, uh, that you can't excavate it, that you can't search it out, you can't look it out, there's a reservoir. There's a reservoir. He says... I want some water. Water is sacrifice. Anytime you give God an offering, you have offerings and you have sacrifice, right? An offering is what you have usually, right? So it's, it's kind of easy to give. It's easy to get and give to God, right? Um, but a sacrifice is when you don't have it. Like when you actually, like I don't have it. Dr. Shaw said, I, I'm calling for a $50 seed. And my account says $51.72. So if I give this $50 seed, I've only got $1.72 left. That's a sacrifice. Sacrifices require faith. Sacrifices require faith. And you can only be instrumental as a true intercessor if you have faith. Do I have any fire starters in the room? Ultimately, the functional use, the objective for fire in this case is located in verse 38. Where Elijah says, hear me, O Lord, hear me. That this people may know, I'm closing here, that thou art the Lord God. And thou hast turned their heart back again. The purpose of fire is not to prove that we've got power. The purpose of fire is not even to heal the sick. The purpose of fire is not to raise the dead. The purpose of fire is not to bring you more money. The purpose of fire is to turn your heart back to God. If your heart is turned back to God, everything else will come. But the challenge that we have after salvation, the subsequent challenges, is our heart straying away from God. 
going after. Look at somebody say, no other lovers, no other lovers, no other lovers, no other lovers, no other. Going after other lovers. God is interested in sending fire because he wants your heart back. God is interested in sending fire because he wants to turn your heart. Some of you in the room, your heart has been turned uh, rather into, into stone. And, 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 and for some of you, God doesn't wanna, want your heart back. He said, I'm going to give you a new heart. He said, I'll give you a brand new one. He said, I don't even want the stony heart. I'll give you a brand new heart. He said, this heart has had so many lovers. It has been pricked by so much jealousy, by so much malice, by so much envy. I don't even want it anymore. I'll create, I'll create a new heart. When your heart is turned, there is a new level of pursuit. I hear Andre Crouch saying, uh, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back to the place where I first believed. When your heart is turned, there is a new level of pursuit. When your heart is turned, there is a new level of dedication. When your heart is turned, there is a new level, uh, hallelujah, of commitment to God. When your heart is turned, you don't uh, desire the same things that you did before. When your heart is turned, you don't want uh, the same things that you did before. But I need about three people in the room this morning uh, that will lift up your hands and call on fire. We're calling on fire today not for money. We're calling on fire today not for another house. We're calling on fire today not for another car. We're calling on fire today not so that we can get a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband or a wife. We're calling on fire today because we want a new heart. I'm calling on fire today because my heart has impacted some hurt. My heart has been impacted by jealousy. My heart has been impacted by rejection. My heart has been impacted by neglect. My heart has been impacted by depression. My heart has been impacted, hallelujah, by oppression. But I dare somebody to lift your hands and call on the fire of God right now, right now, right now. Let me hear you. We want fire for our heart. We want fire, not just, watch this and I'm closing, not just so that he can give us a new heart. But the Bible said, that the people who were standing around, I feel like hooping. I don't know how to hoop, but I want to. I want to hoop this. I, I don't know how to do it, but I want to do it. I don't. The Bible said that the people who were standing around, it says that those people said, the Lord, he is the God. Now, notice the, 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 the message here. It didn't say he is my God. And said that he is the God. Thank you. Okay, I, I can do it now. And said that he is the God. 
They didn't even accept him as Lord and Savior in that moment. They, they didn't even have salvation in that moment. The God. The purpose of fire is to show who's boss. The purpose of fire is to show who's in charge. The purpose of fire is to bring back the backslider. The purpose of fire is to bring the unbeliever to Christ. We want fire because we want revival. Revival is not another healing service. Revival is not another deliverance service. Revival is not another conference. Revival is when people come back to God. Stand to your feet. I'm done. Just lift those hands right there. How many of you received the word of the Lord this morning? He's calling us fire starters. He's calling us fire starters. He's calling us fire starters. Just lift those hands. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would love for you to do two things. One, subscribe to our show so you can receive notification of our most recent messages. Also, if this message has impacted you, you can click the link in the description and you can give now. We'll connect with you next time on Crown Ministries Podcast.